This is Unfiltered, the International Women's Initiative official podcast. Here, we have unfiltered conversations about the most urgent challenges to women's rights globally. Today, the Ukraine crisis, Ukrainian refugees fleeing their home country into Poland. I'm Lucia Stremska, speaking to Emily Ford. Uh, what I did was me and my brother drove from England to the border of Ukraine in Poland with the idea of transporting refugees that had just crossed over the border around Poland and potentially a bit further depending on where they needed to go and we also tried to help people a bit with their citizenship and trying to get their visas into the UK and then also just helping at the donation centre yeah topping up supplies with some funds that we raised at home. So what made you go to Poland to help with the crisis because I know a lot of people helped out financially but not a lot of people actually want like the kind of strength to go and actually physically help. Um, to be honest, it, it wasn't my idea initially. I was watching it a lot on the news and I, I assume like everyone, it was really upsetting to see what was happening. But it wasn't It wasn't my idea. I actually got a phone call from my brother and he was saying that he was leaving for Poland in two days and I hadn't heard anything about this beforehand. And yet he didn't invite me either, actually. He just told me that he was going and then, yeah, we put the phone down and I just sort of sat there thinking about it and I thought, okay, well... I was in a bit of a lull in my personal life anyway, like I was, I'd been going through a breakup and my contract for my job was finishing soon and yeah, I was spending a lot of time watching watching the news about what was happening in Ukraine and I just thought, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I'm not really committed to anything and I've got uh, the funds to go, so why not kind of thing, if, if he doesn't mind me going along with him. So that was that was kind of the reason to do it initially. We tried to get some contacts in Poland because we thought we have no idea what we're doing really. We're just, we've neither of us have even been to Poland before. So are we going to get there and be completely useless? And we were both thinking we don't speak Polish or Ukrainian. Are they going to just kind of send us home? But yeah, so I tried to find some contacts locally. And where I live, there was a donation center uh, near the airport. And I met a Polish girl there and she gave me the link to a website which showed where they needed volunteers, where they needed donations, uh, where they needed drivers. But there was no sort of in-person contacts. This was just a map on a website. And so we just followed that map basically. And we got loads of stuff from the donation center and some stuff from my old job, like some old uniform that had a lot of thermals and stuff. And yeah, donations from friends and family. And we did a just uh, just giving page, and we managed to raise six thousand on there. Not not immediately. I think we raised like a thousand before we left home. It was all just such short notice. It was like two days notice, so it was all like a huge rush really so i had my car my vw polo and my brother had his audi and we drove both of them and they were both full of donations uh, which we dropped to the border when we got there were you not worried at all of the war like reaching poland because i know i was freaking out for my relatives out there my parents were as well did you have any worries about that happening yeah i was thinking about that when we were talking because it's warsaw isn't it yeah 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 yeah. that's the sense that i got as well from a lot of polish people they were nervous of if if Russia could do that with Ukraine, would they then think that, oh, well, maybe we can go further? And yeah, I think that was a sort of like the sentiment of a lot of Polish people that I met. I was trying to be like, yeah, no, it's fine, it's fine. But yeah, people at home were quite worried. I think they were worried about me driving people on my own because we were going in separate cars. 
And I was a little bit nervous about that, but I was more worried about potentially the war escalating whilst we were there. And yeah, on the way, on the way into Poland, on the way to the border, as we were going down the motorway, there was just like huge convoys of army trucks. That definitely got my adrenaline going a little bit and like aeroplanes in the sky. I don't know if they were NATO aeroplanes or what. But yeah, I was I was nervous. But I think really if, if anyone were in danger in Poland, then we would be in danger yeah. anyway. Yeah. I tried to just think of that and not stress too much. And actually, there was very, very rarely ever a time where I felt unsafe when I was there. That's really interesting to hear. And what organisations were you working with at the, at the time? Um, so... Yeah, as I said initially, we didn't have any contacts. When we arrived at the border, the donations point that we dropped the stuff at was uh, Karasavs. And at that point, it was still really busy. A lot of donations coming in. I think it's kind of sad. It's one of those things where with the media, like the first two weeks or three weeks of any major event, there's so much media attention. And so there's a lot of a bigger response. And then it just kind of like dwindled but yeah initially it was really busy there so Caritas stepped in there was also another charity I can't remember their name though it was three letters and they had like a blue logo but otherwise it was kind of just like locals that were helping out really how did locals go about helping out did you see any of that firsthand yeah we met we met a lot of locals actually um a lot of the people on the border because we were the place where we were mainly volunteering was a few kilometers from the border but the actual border literally as they're crossing over there was there was uh, a group of people there to 24-7 for the whole time that the war's been happening and they'll hand out like tea and coffee snacks signposting for if people need to get their sim cards and things like that or organizing their further travel and yeah it was mostly locals actually that were there literally day in day out on the border the whole time they, they all have like full-time jobs families everything but they were all putting time aside pretty much every single day to go and help Poland was from driving around Europe actually you can just kind of see from like the cities who's very kind of like conscious of what's happening and Poland was just everywhere you go there were Ukraine flags posters in Ukrainian that it looked like Poland's really really supporting Ukrainians a lot yeah. and really welcoming them yeah I guess it's I suppose speaking to a lot of people about this it's a lot about how this Eastern European kind of unity is like our sisterhood because all the Eastern European countries are like a family. So if one gets targeted, I, f- I feel like a lot of them help each other out, which I guess is a bit different in the West. So it's really, yeah, yeah. again, it's really nice, especially with all the politics that are going on in Poland. It's just really nice to see people coming together in, I mean, it's not the best situation to see this happening at, but it's really nice to see, again, people just helping out. What about for you? Was it like, uh, did, have you heard much from your family, their experience? Of yeah, that? so... Um, my family's mostly in Warsaw, so there's not really much. My when my mum went over, she said that there's just you can tell that there's a lot of Ukrainians now because you can hear it everywhere, which is just amazing. And yeah. Um, just yeah, just seeing that. I know a lot of people have taken people into their homes as well, which mm-hmm. is obviously great. But then you do hear a lot of trafficking stories and stuff like that, which I guess ha- also is happening in the UK. So again, there's like so many ups and so many downs of it. And I, I personally don't know enough about it. And I wish I need to do more research about it. How did you see all the people coming out of Ukraine? What kind of, what did you notice? And how did they act or react to people helping them? The main thing I noticed actually was the way that they spoke about things was really kind of day-to-day and casual but when you listen to the content of what they're actually saying it's horrific like oh yeah I said goodbye to my dad and I said oh you know were you, are you close with your dad said, yeah but I don't know if I'll see him again yeah I mean for the for the most part yeah they were actually very kind of 
like positive, outgoing, very friendly, very grateful, quite proud people and not particularly expressive with their emotions. But you could definitely tell that there was like a level of shock and just kind of staying very practical about things. Okay, we need to do this and then this and then this and then this because I imagine that what else can they do in that situation? They can't just sit there and cry about it or go into, you know, a full-on breakdown. Like, they have to just go with whatever's happening. It's kind of like they've lost all control. And that's what really worried me was with the family that we took over, sorry, that we organised to, to get over to the UK. There was a mum and two daughters and their guinea pig. And, yeah, like, when they got in the car, they said... They said, oh, we're going to Warsaw. And partway through the journey, I said, where are you Where are you going off to Warsaw? They said, oh, we don't know. I said, right, okay. So why are we going to Warsaw? And they said, oh, the refugee centre just told us to go to Warsaw and then they'll figure it out from there. And I just thought, I can't even imagine how terrifying that is. Just being passed from place to place. They've never been out of the country before. And then, yeah, it's just, oh, just go to this place. And they're just kind of getting handed from place to place, which I understand it's part of the process, but... From their perspective, yeah, they're just completely like loose. They're like unattached to anything anymore. They're just sort of floating from place to place. I just found that so um, surreal, actually. And we said, you know, is there any place that you'd like to go? And they said, oh, we'd really like to go to England. I said, well, you've met the right people. Then, like, we can try and help you with that. And we were saying it's a bit easier to go to Ireland. Would you be interested in going there? And they just were so kind of, um, oh, we don't, we don't mind, we don't mind. And it's like this is. In, in a normal kind of day-to-day conversation when someone's talking about where they would like to live, it's a it's a huge, major life decision that you would yeah. probably spend weeks and months thinking about and discussing. And that really like brought home to me their level of desperation. It was basically, take us anywhere. And I think that was maybe partly a kind of trauma response as well, just being completely zoned out. But yeah, okay, let's just go there. Let's do this, let's do that. There was no real um, decision making, and I think that's that's concerning. That these people are being refugees are being received by people that don't necessarily have any kind of training or knowledge about trauma or how that can affect someone's like behaviour and someone's response to things. And I think that leaves people so vulnerable when they're in that kind of traumatised state that you know they're not going to be thinking in the same way that they usually would. Or, be making the same decisions and yeah I think that really leaves people open to being taken advantage of in various yeah. ways. Do you think a lot of them had a lot of hope to returning back to Ukraine or do you think they were thinking more like we're getting out and we're never returning back of the uncertainty of what's going to happen with Russia? Uh, from just from my experience the older generation wanted to go back and the younger generation were more keen to start a new life really not only because of the war but for economical reasons and yeah they might have better opportunities in other countries because it's relatively poor yeah so i would say the older generation like i already know some people that are going back there's a there were three girls this is another one i mean it all kind of hit home in different ways but there were these three girls who were best friends and they were flash sharing in Kiev. And they brought their cat with them as well, this little kitten, who's really cute. And yeah, they were going to the north of Poland and I stayed in touch with them afterwards and they're they're actually going back to Kiev. I don't really know the geography so well of the war anyway, of like what parts are the most dangerous, but from what I can tell there's still relatively dangerous place in Kiev. So I guess for I guess for a lot of people they're just craving that like familiarity and just being home, which I guess is completely understandable. But yeah, really to think that like they, they must have been feeling really desperate to leave in the first place 
if that's how much they value security and being or familiarity not not as much security yeah. and as well with the kind of the male subscription of them having to kind of fight and stay in ukraine did any of the women or children did you hear any kind of feelings and emotions they were feeling about that or the reactions they had or whether they had any hope of seeing them again yeah there was one woman actually i drove her to i'm gonna say this wrong what's well yeah. <laughs> so we drove her to Wrocław to be with her daughter and her granddaughter. Really lovely woman. We couldn't speak a word to each other because she's Ukrainian and English. But uh, we did use Google Translate. We managed to actually have like a really nice chat. And she was very emotional on the journey. She was the first person I saw cry actually on the journey. And it was because she kept talking about her nephew, who who's 20. And, oh, I don't know why I'm getting sorry. About that one so much. If you want to pause at any moment, do let me know because I know this is quite quite an emotional talk. I don't usually get that emotional, but yeah. So she, her nephew had to stay to fight. He was twenty, and then yeah, she kept showing me like photos of him and saying like how proud she was, and she kept sort of like holding her hands to her heart and stuff, and she was saying, "Oh, we we need to pray for him. We need to pray for him." So anyway, we drove her to Wrocław, and she reunited with her daughter, which was lovely, and her her one year old granddaughter. And she was going to stay there and like take care of them. And we drove back to the border. And then about a week later, I got a message from her asking if we were still in Wrocław and whether we could take her back to the border. And I was thinking like, why would you? Why would you want to go back that direction? It's such a long way. And yeah, and she sent like a photo of her nephew and just said like, our boy's dead. Oh, and that was just so. That was so heartbreaking. And it's to think like how how few people like we we actually came into contact with considering the millions of people that have left and like yeah I can't imagine like how many families are going through that kind of grief and everything it's it's kind of like hard to you can't you can't really like make a mental image of kind of like the amount of pain that's being caused by one man's decisions it's like that really kind of blows my mind so yeah and there, there were a lot of other families most families really like had brothers or uncles or husbands especially that had to stay behind that aren't necessarily fighting yet but will have to fight at some point because i saw a lot of stuff on the news as well and like other documentaries where people or ukrainian men that were outside of ukraine and went back in because of obviously their kind of they have to go back because they feel like they have to protect their motherland right and fight back because if they don't go back then nobody will be there to protect them it's just really heartbreaking especially hearing you saying all of that it's just really it shows more of the like reality the harsh reality of what people don't really see and don't really face in their normal day-to-day life because it is scary but again like we kind of all hear about it on the news and then we kind of go on with our day-to-day lives kind of ignoring it which is horrible it's yeah you realize it's, it's just normal families normal people and being in that close contact with them, it's like you start to see all these similarities. Like, oh, she there was a young girl who looked exactly like literally a twin of my little cousin or a personality trait that reminds me of my nan or my uncle or my brother or things like that. And it's just like there's we're really no different. And it was, yeah, I mean, they were living in a peaceful, well, a relatively peaceful place, a normal life. And then all of a sudden it's just gone. Yeah. And it's also really like made me think about about privilege really we don't have to look at those like realities of life but also the privilege kind of like make judgments as well like i've definitely seen a lot of a lot of people making judgments about men that might have come over and i can i can understand the 
the sentiment of like staying behind to fight. And, but I also think, who are we to be making those judgments? We're not part of their country. We're not yeah. part of their culture. We don't know their history. I certainly don't know how I would feel about sticking around whilst getting attacked by Russia. Like, there's, yeah. there's no way to be in that person's position and then say you're a good or you're a bad person for staying or trying to get out and be with your family and survive. And, and also differences in cultures. I think there's a lot of people that have signed up to sponsor with this kind of preconception of they're going to fit into my family and my culture and we'll do it my way. And if they don't take what they're given, then they're not grateful and they don't deserve they don't deserve the refuge, which I think is just crazy thinking. If anyone's thinking of like sponsoring, then that's with the knowledge that they're people the same as anyone else they're not pet like you know some yeah. of the, some of the language that's been banded around on facebook groups for trying to find sponsors it's like oh have you got your ukrainian yet and it's just, just like oh it's really cringeworthy almost they deserve exactly the same dignity respect choice freedom as anyone else would be having in their day-to-day life yeah, like, that exactly. doesn't go away just because you're a refugee yeah, just um, because, like, obviously, if that happened, if somebody invaded the UK, then obviously the people would expect the same hospitality, hospitality yeah. back to to them. Again, yeah. I do understand it's also like this kind of Eastern European immigrant coming in or refugee care coming in, and like that kind of mindset, I think, as well. Also, were there many people that mentioned the 2014 Russian invasion as well? Was there any reference to that and how it's kind of happening again? Or do people stay away from that kind of topic as that being completely separate? I don't think completely separate. I didn't hear a huge amount about it myself. Yeah, there was a guy that I met who was there in 2014 as a journalist. So he had the prior interest in it. He was relatively quiet. He didn't share that much with me about it. And one of the families that we helped get to the UK, he was able to come out of Ukraine because he'd already fought in 2014. That's really the only thing that I heard about it. With reference to 2014 as well, there was that sentiment of the same thing, like, oh, there's, you know, this kind of, like, Russian pride in Ukraine, Russia's sentiment of, oh, we're, we're saving you and we're helping those Russian speakers come back to the homeland, which is, yeah, I think is as much rubbish as it was back yeah. then but I mean that's that's coming from a very uneducated perspective I think to be honest like I don't obviously I don't know what it was like over there at that time or anything but yeah no there wasn't a huge amount of conversation about 2014 it was all about the present stuff I think I don't know whether it's worse now or than it was obviously both situations awful and catastrophic but I don't know whether this is a lot worse and whether it's I don't remember how long the other one went on for but again it's kind of with the whole sentiment even like during Eurovision they won the Eurovision that time and even like hearing well I mean they sang in Ukrainian but seeing the kind of subtitles what they were saying as well like literally shocking that it was happening at this time in Europe as well if Russia did break into Poland as well like a third world war might have occurred because obviously Poland's yeah. a NATO country and U- Ukraine isn't so there's also that kind of politics of whether Ukraine should be a NATO country but again mm-hmm. I think Putin's very much threatening things if that does happen and things like that. I, from a political stance I was more involved in uh, the humanitarian side and there's so many people that knew the whole history of Europe and all these like hundreds of wars that have happened and that became that bit of land and that was just the mind boggles kind of thing like the amount of history there is in Europe it did make me think makes more sense to me now why grudges get held in a way because it's it made me realize it's not just oh this is a thing of the past and we need to move past it and it's gone and over and finished it's not it was people's 
families, it's people's mums, uncles, brothers, that kind of trauma and that kind of pain doesn't go away in one generation really. I think that's something that carries on for a really long, long time. This generational struggle with historical atrocities that have happened and now it's kind of influenced decisions or politics and just the family perspective of what's happening at the time. I know you touched on this but what did your average day look like during the time when you were helping out? It wasn't very pretty. So we were sleeping in a school, like a secondary school that was still being used as a secondary school. So the average day would be wake up to children <laughs> looking in on us. That just started, we'd be like, morning. <laughs> Leave about half seven from the school, go to the donation centre, which is literally just down the road. And then people from the UK, there were people from Italy, Spain, loads of people from Germany. Yeah, all sorts, all sorts. Um, and there were people, they'd literally driven for sometimes like 20 hours just to drop this stuff off and then go That's home. Crazy. I think it really, yeah, I think it really uh, affected a lot of people seeing seeing that happen. So, yeah, so we would get a lot of deliveries each day. Um, we'd like unpack those into the donations point and then there would be people coming over from the Ukraine border, uh, from, from Ukraine across the border and they'd pick up donations from us and take them back over. Yeah, there was a guy that would come almost every day, actually. And he was a lovely guy. I had no idea what he was saying. And he had no idea what I was saying. But we'd always, like, make him a cup of tea and stuff. And he'd always sit and smoke with us. And you could kind of see, like, how, how desperate he was. Because we'd be telling him, like, we can only give you so much stuff. And then we have to keep stuff behind for in case anyone else comes. Or if the refugees need it at the centre. And he would just stay anyway. And then we'd be like, okay, like, one more box. And then he's, like, still there 20 minutes. And then, okay, fine. Okay. So then he'd just have everything. But, yeah, you could see him sort of getting, like, more and more drawn and more sad-looking and tired-looking, like, every time he came. It was really sad to see him, but lovely man. Yeah, so there were people picking stuff up for Ukraine. And then quite often we'd get called in, me and my brother and this other Irish volunteer, Kevin. We would get called in to the refugee centre and they'd say, oh, we've got... I don't know eight people for Warsaw or yeah. four people for Rotswav or whatever um, and then we'd be driving for the day and quite often when we got to the other end we'd be helping them to try to find somewhere to sleep for the night or try to bargain with volunteers at the help desk to get them a hotel instead of another refugee centre like especially if they're going to be waiting for a long time for their visas like it wasn't suitable for them to be in these like places are really not places to be in a, in a strange way as well that we have we actually have some really some really fun time, met some really lovely people, really, really nice volunteers, all weird and wonderful in their own way. And yeah, some really nice Ukrainian people. It's strange because I thought it would kind of be one of the most depressing things that I would ever do. And in some ways it was. And in some ways it was the most life-affirming thing that I've done, that actually there can be the most horrible thing happening. And for a lot of people, kind of like the lowest point in their lives or a point where they would have the least hope and somehow still found a way to to laugh and like find joy in small things and to connect with people and and i mean it's kind of going into a situation where you only really bump into people who who have good hearts because everyone's yeah. there that everyone, everyone that's there has come there to help and so it just meant that we, we just met some really really good people in some ways it was actually one of the loveliest things i've done as well an overwhelming time and that is all for now thank you for listening to unfiltered Head over to our website, www.theiwi.org, for more information about the work we do for women around the world. 
I'm Watsia Stremska, our producer is Mia Simovic, and music by Leo Manson. Research by Rebecca Willems and Julia Thompson Florence.